0: plus
1: recorded live good morning good afternoon good evening everybody it's charlene anderson your wholesale sourcing expert here on october 18th 2017 right in the smack dab beginning month of q4 which um, i hope means lots of sales for everybody Um, We have a guest on my podcast today that I've looked forward to talking to for a long time. Um, Chris McCabe, our guest, actually is an Amazonian. He worked for years on Amazon performance and policy enforcement teams, as well as the infamous Bezos escalations. He now uses his knowledge and experience to help sellers think like Amazon and protect their business. Um, I think that, that whole thing, think like Amazon, is the key, isn't it, Chris?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, It is the key because uh, I've seen a lot of people send a lot of correspondence to my former teams without thinking how it's received on the other side, what their audience is, and they write something that to them makes sense, I guess, within the context of how they interpret a problem with their account um, without really showing how they understand internal teams to work, which I think is at least half the problem.
1: Ah, because, Maybe, maybe 60% so, of it. <laughs> maybe because so many of us work alone, not in teams and all that, we don't get the whole dynamic of how that put comes together. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, and also there's um, – I guess this is still kind of how people typically start trying to research or resolve something, but there's a lot of bad information in the forums. There's a lot of bad advice in the Facebook groups. Um, a lot of people turn to other sellers who may or may not have a – situation that matches up with theirs. It might be apples and oranges, but it might be treated as though it's apples to apples. Um, and then on top of that, which I guess is more on my side of this, this niche or, or industry of consultants, is you have a lot of consultants who pretend to be experts, but they're not. Um, and they, they, they feign interest or uh, contact with people who understand these processes and these systems and how they work and how um, account investigations happen, um, but I see a lot of conjecture. I, saw, I see a lot of, you know, um, just sort of misallocated uh, opinion, and, and it just makes people head down the wrong path all the quicker. So um, it's, uh, it's on both sides. It's not just sellers assuming they know everything about how Amazon works. It's also, um, unfortunately, on, on the consultant side as well.
1: I, I have seen a plethora of consultants jump into this in the past like two years yeah. um there yeah and a lot of them um i've seen we have a group member who you saved her bacon um when other people couldn't or wouldn't or whatever but you got her reinstated so um so the person in the pudding for me that you got the job done you know um that's the most important thing but that was what, what mattered
0: was, yeah yeah without without getting into bragging rights and so forth um It always feels good just to take somebody from a situation that looks unrecoverable, and and I think I know which one you're you're, uh, talking about. We had a few that week which were similar, Um, and they had burned through a lot of chances, appeal chances, and they had sent in some maybe not 100% their uh, quality appeal work, um, and we were still able to get them back on. So that always makes us feel good, and it makes the entire work that we do worthwhile, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the person you reinstated, she's in chat right now. She's listening. Um, is oh, such good. a wonderful person. It, it's, you know, it just yep. made me sick to see this happen because stuff happens and it seems to, like, blow up really fast. Is that just me seeing it or is that how it really works at Amazon?
0: Yeah, and also, um, you know, whether or not she's willing to describe some of her story some later date, she was off selling for a while as far as I recall. Like nine months. Yeah, It wasn't just weeks. I know, it wasn't just weeks, it was months. And keep in mind when you're off, the longer you're off the more investigators tend to count that time against you. Um, And it might be a subconscious thing, it might not necessarily be written and delineated in all their SOPs, but if they think it's taking you a long time to come up with solutions, I mean, I certainly don't advocate that people appeal quickly because I think haste makes waste, but on the other side of the extreme, don't wait months to send these things in. Um, it might be quality work, and it might be as good as Shakespeare at that point, but if they think it took you four or five months to implement solutions, it doesn't speak well of your operation of your account. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But um, Sorry, can you ask me that last question? Well, I want to make um, sure I got to all parts I, I, of it.
1: I, I want to <laughs> ask something because this kind of relates to my, my whole – Theory about Amazon and all that and and how the whole thing works. Are we safer sourcing from wholesale sources or is it the same for retail arbitrage and online arbitrage? Because this is like the million dollar question.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I have some notes that I sort of drew up for this today um, because I wanted to know if most of your listeners, I'm sure it's a mix on some level, but are most of them resellers? or most of them private label because there are most different resellers. Things. yeah okay most so there resellers. are different things to to look for i mean i can talk about both but resellers i mean in terms of you know the topic today which is how best to avoid a suspension especially the suspension this time of year i mean for reselling the roads just gotten bumpier right as time has gone on especially when it comes to like intellectual property complaints and trademark and copyright complaints so infringements generally speaking Um, this is just getting more dangerous, right? And it's not so much that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, that reselling certain brands, you know, against their wishes is, you know, we could talk about the legal parts of it forever. Uh, The bottom line is that Amazon tends to back the brand over the reseller, whether or not there's a legitimate question there about whether you're legally reselling their products or not. Um, Amazon doesn't want to mediate those legal disputes and they won't get into it. They'll refer you back to the brand to resolve it. And, of course, the brand needs to retract that notice to clear you of that complaint directly with Amazon, right? They're not just sending it to you. I mean, hopefully you get a retraction, you get a copy of it, and with your appeal you can send that in. Um, But people are, of course, getting suspended for this a lot more now than they were, say, a year ago or two years ago. So on top of the usual threats of inauthentic complaints from buyers, safety complaints from buyers, as a reseller, you're also facing sort of the dual-faceted threat of the brands paying more attention to who's selling their products, trying to get information on your supply chain and who sold to you so that, you know, theoretically they can go after the distributor that gave you the products and settle their score with them Mm -hmm. using you as an information tool, right? I mean, all of this wasn't as prevalent 1 year ago, 2 years ago. Now the brands whether they have legal, you know, departments or compliance departments, I mean most major brands and a lot of smaller ones are hip to this concept of I need to chase these resellers off these listings. Amazon gives me a process to do this. I can file a notice claim of infringement and I probably won't have this reseller, you know, contesting it. They'll they'll contest maybe their account suspension to Amazon. They might contact me looking for a retraction, but they're probably not taking me to court to settle this, you know, and to get um, get a retraction from me, you know, forced, a compelling retraction from me, right?
1: Yeah, the whole the whole theory in our group, at least it's what I espouse, is that we as resellers are going directly to the source or to an authorized distributor of that source. So we're not doing retail arbitrage and buying Lego at Walmart If we want to sell Lego, we'll go to Lego and get them from Lego. And that's just a brand I pulled out because I know Mm -hmm. nothing about toys. So I do think we are in a far better position because the brand owner knows where we're selling them, you know, because we told them when we open our account, hey, we are selling these on Amazon, and they either give you a yay or a nay, and you go from there. I think that's a much stronger position, don't you?
0: Well, so get it, two things, get it in writing in your agreement with that brand that you can sell them on Amazon, short of that, at least figure out if you are going to surface on their radar, if they're going to hire an agency to report different sellers to Amazon or, I mean, you know, having it verbally versus written, of course, is weaker, but have some understanding before you list and sell these products, is the brand going to come after me in some way, shape or form? You know, setting aside for the moment whether or not you have the legal right to sell that brand's products as a reseller um, and whether or not they have the right to submit a notice claim of infringement. Amazon is going to take your account down if they get enough of these infringements against you. That's what matters most. You're probably not taking Amazon to court to figure out whether or not they've done something to infringe upon your rights as a reseller and the right of resale. And you're probably not taking the brand to court So consider these things, you know. I mean, if your account cannot be suspended for months or longer while you sort out some of these legal issues, then you don't have that legal option or avenue open to you. You're really just thinking strategically at that point. So my clients, I mean, I have, you know, a lot of people associate me with reinstating accounts, of course. We've done that for years. Um, Most of my clients are active, right? They, they, They work with me month in, month out. So my clients, I pretty much say you have to have one of these two things. You have to have an agreement in writing saying that you can sell this brand's products on Amazon so that if Amazon ever challenges your legal right to do so, you can show them this document. Okay, so sure of that. Since a lot of resellers don't have that, you need to know that the brand is not going to uh, report you for any kind of infringement because that's a simple, straightforward process on Amazon's side. They will force you to go to that brand get the retraction in order to move forward at that point.
1: Okay, so, so this raises another question because I, I am after people in my group that we're wholesale sourcing experts. Our deal is to go to the source so we have the okay from the source, and then there's no question. And I right. tend to have most of the approvals from my in emails from them saying, yes, you're okay to sell on Amazon or whatever. Right. So I don't have like a formal contract, but I do have emails. But here's the okay. question that this brings up. What about these fake infringement notifications that other sellers try to pull
0: right and i I've, I've actually got um, I've got a new column on web retailer, and I'm addressing that particular issue in the next one, which is hopefully publishing soon, but um, they've got the notice dispute team now, which they didn't have a year ago. Uh, you know they're still setting up shop in a in manner of speaking I mean they're doing a lot of good work in terms of getting sellers who are submitting false infringements trying to knock their competition off, uh, getting those people off the site and suspended for abusing that process. They're, they're one of the abuse teams. I mean, this is, you know, they're, they're doing a lot more of this in, in recent months than they were earlier this year, but they're also still, at least in Amazon terms, a fresh team. And, and I mean, I don't right. know if they're still setting up shop, but they're still ironing out processes and getting their systems straight. Um, you know, I've talked to them before, and I know that they're concerned about this. I know they take it seriously, and they they probably at this point take it just as seriously as a private label seller alleging that their rights are being infringed upon. Um, who you know report sellers, resellers of their product, or people who are jumping on and hijacking their listings. So
1: they're oh, both taken know, seriously. They, they recognize yeah. it is an issue. It is not because the perception is that every time some somebody who doesn't have the right to submit these does it Amazon automatically sides with them that's the forum perception not in our forum but in other forums so Is there it's under, good to know. yeah
0: and we get into some kind of legal aspects of this um, and you know I should probably state that I'm not an attorney I'm not an IP attorney trademark attorney or an attorney period but I'm familiar with the subject from the Amazon you know internal team perspective so they do have an obligation to take action when they receive a properly filled out completed configured notice claim of infringement to take your listing away and send you the warning that said you have the right to appeal or uh, dispute that and that's what the notice dispute team is for hopefully you're going over your you know legal options with somebody who's legally trained in these areas and not just sort of making it up on your own which is one of the uh, topics I covered in, in my column, um, a lot of sellers are just deciding that they understand the law on their own.
1: And they're deciding yeah.
0: what rights they have or don't have on their own. And some are submitting... I mean, I've talked to some people who have been suspended. You end up getting suspended for a code of conduct violation if you submit uh, false you know, infringement forms to Amazon. I mean, that's the action they take on the seller account at this point. If you send well, you something know- and you didn't... Yeah,
1: Rightly so, right? If you send fake Mm -hmm. stuff, you should be suspended. I've got an issue that's going on right now that it's kind of tangentially related. I have Mm -hmm. a a competing seller on a bunch of my listings who um, got their store name brand registered. They're not a private label seller. They're just a strictly wholesaler reseller. Um, But somehow they managed to get their, their store name brand registered. They are going through listings for another totally different brand, a very well-known brand in the arts and crafts field. And they are changing the brand on all of those listings to their store
0: name. Right. So
1: there's a lot of this going
0: on. There's a lot of this going on. I mean, people, some people are just favorably interpreting what they see as the policy, what they see as the law. Um, I've had, I mean, obviously there are just black hat bad actor types who are trying to take out their competition and they don't care. There are other people where it's just more like an ignorance is bliss situation, and they're you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned sellers who believe they're defending their own rights ownership, and they're doing it the wrong way, or they don't understand rights ownership, period.
1: I, yeah, but, I think this yeah. one is a combination of the three, because okay. I've talked to the brand owner. I have a great relationship with the brand owner, and I called right. them. and I saw and it came up because I tried to get the brand changed to the real brand name on a listing I was listing on. And they right. said, no, we can't do it because they're brand registered and we can't change it. They have control of the page. So right. I called up the brand owner and I said, you aren't going to believe what these people are doing. All I heard was a giant sigh on the other end. She says, you know, right. I fight I fight these people all the time with this. They keep telling me that they can't change um, brand names on a listing. Once a listing is on Amazon, it can't be edited and all this BS that goes
0: on. And I told her, I said,
1: Sarah, why don't you just stop selling to them then? And that would solve like the whole problem.
0: You know? (laughs) That is one approach. I mean, brands are getting smarter. Um, You know, for people who are kind of like, well, lawyers cost a lot of money. I mean, think about what you're costing yourself if your account's suspended for misunderstanding these processes or for abusing these processes. And of course, I mean, I do a lot of reinstatement work. If you're accused of code of conduct violations, that's sort of a different kind of suspension than, you know, having a couple of inauthentic complaints from buyers and having item quality complaints uh, for certain problem orders. I mean, this is like you're, you may appear, you might not see it this way, but you may appear like you're deliberately abusing the law or Amazon policies. I mean, do you really want to be writing an appeal based on your new understanding of the fact that you willfully abuse these policies, or out of sheer ignorance, you abuse them um, I mean ignorance is not an excuse, of course either any any more so than deliberately doing it I mean, not from amazon's perspective, you're creating headaches and liability and risk and problems for them every time you misunderstand these things and misapply these these laws or policies so You know, when people come back and say, well, we wanted to talk to a lawyer, but we thought it was too much money. I mean, life is too much money. (laughs) That's not an excuse. Amazon doesn't care. Frankly, I don't care. Um, You know, talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. Don't just assume that you know what you're doing, just as you would for your own account suspension for something else. I mean, there are people who appeal six, seven, eight times, and then they call me for help because they believed they understood the process. They believed they understood what Amazon wanted. They believed they understood what they did wrong or what they were perceived to have done wrong. And you're just digging a deeper and deeper hole for yourself. I mean, unless your account doesn't mean that much to you, you know, there's no point in sort of just making, making a bigger mess with each passing week. I mean, presumably you're missing revenue, you're missing sales, especially this time of year. This time right?
1: of year, right. So interesting, I pushed the issue on this case. And I got a a response from a guy named Bo, so we have no idea where Mm -hmm. Bo lives. But it says, because the brand-registered seller XYZ has abused their brand registry and incorrectly marked these products, I've contacted our seller performance team through an internal violations report with all of the necessary data to have the problem corrected. The issue might be handled from the seller performance angle at this time as they will need to take perform an investigation and take whatever account level actions they deem necessary right um so we'll see what happens they say i can i can try again today to see but you know at least at least i feel like i did something to help fix the amazon catalog you know yeah Um, i mean
0: you're doing your part so that's the good news yeah for sure they had a lot of when brand registry 2.0 broke they had a lot of people who were approaching brands. There were some you know, um, attorneys out there doing this. There were some sellers out there doing this. Um, they thought they were being smart. They thought they were being ahead of the curve and, and, and smartly competitive. I'm not sure what they thought. Um, a lot of the uh, accounts wound up suspended for code of conduct violations for believing you understood the proper application of the brand registry And going to these brands and saying, well, we have a letter from the brand to knock all these sellers off of these listings. So we are going to be their sole exclusive reseller and we're going to help the brand. The brand wants us to do this anyway. We're going to help the brand get all these other people, you know, who are changing their pricing all the time and sometimes changing the content on the detail page and, you know, whatever the brands didn't like, those sellers thought that by getting to the brands first and advertising themselves as brand protection services, they were going to clean up the catalog they were going to be you know, a trustworthy, sole, exclusive reseller. Whatever they thought, they all got themselves suspended because none of these really? people understood what they were doing. Yeah, this is wow. something that flew under the radar. And, of course, I helped some of these people get reinstated once they understood what they had done wrong. So this wasn't something I was necessarily shouting from the rooftops at the time. But these are the kinds of things that people try to game the system or people try to so how, pre- so pretend that like, they understand all the moving parts, right?
1: So in those cases, exactly what did they do wrong?
0: They, they, they were, they thought that, to be the brand. Well, I mean, they were reporting resellers for various, I mean, it wasn't always the same thing. It typically was trademark uh, infringement, uh, okay,
1: but it could okay. have been,
0: but, but also, you know, I mean, and then we could have a side discussion about what different kinds of intellectual property uh, infringements are. And of course, uh, okay. if you're ever accused, if you're ever warned for an intellectual property, Uh, violation or infringement, the first thing you do when you contact the so-called rights owner um, is to ask them what the nature of the complaint was and if they can specify what kind of intellectual property. I mean, hopefully you have a trained attorney doing this on your behalf, but even if you send one email, you want to come away with, Hey, by the way, what kind of infringement was this of your brand? Um, But people thought, Hey, this is an opportunity, you know, brand registry 2.0. I've got the brand on my side that's all there is to it. I'm just going to do the running around for them so that they don't have to. They were essentially, those resellers were essentially acting as agents of the brand, almost as if they were their the brand's attorneys or the brand's mm-hmm. compliance department. And of course, it's more complex than that. Yeah, um, the, And, the and fact Amazon, that- yeah, Amazon all of a sudden was underwater, drowning in contacts, uh, saying, okay, this seller, this seller, this seller, this seller, this seller right? And they ended up suspending those people for abuse. The people mm. who were acting as those agents, and they had letters saying that they were. I mean, I understand where the confusion came in. They had a, a, letters from the brands indicating they could act as their agents, but you know there was clearly more to this, right? And, and some of them the even issue becomes yeah.
1: supply chain management from the brand owner. That becomes where they still have to do have some sort of control
0: right. there, you know? Right. A uh, lot of the brands I, I have, want to know. Oh, go ahead.
1: I have done that. I I did brand registry for a brand. um, But the only reason I did it is so I could make the best product pages because I'm the only Amazon seller of this product from day one when this brand came into being. Mm -hmm. Um, So I basically, once it was done, I don't do anything, you know, because they don't sell. They they are very specific in their context. The stuff is not available for retail. It's just not that kind of product. And okay. so they are very clear um, to their new accounts that have brick-and-mortar craft stores um, that you can't sell these on Amazon or eBay, and it's right. in their contract. Um, so in this case, it was, it, I think it was the right thing to do because it gave me um, the ability to create really good pages, you know? Yes.
0: And another part to this is that there's become blurred lines between what, what brand is reporting you for counterfeit And what brand is reporting you for an intellectual property or a trademark uh, infringement? Um, Of course, if you're selling counterfeit, you're violating someone's intellectual property. That goes without saying. But a lot of, I mean, the Amazon team started sending newish or newer correspondence to sellers who appealed intellectual property or trademark infringement violations, saying you need to prove to us you've got a new process built that shows how you're detecting and removing counterfeit product from your inventory. Um, that wasn't happening before the counterfeit discussion was supposed to be separate to, uh, are you committing an infringement, right? Unless you were committing the infringement, like I just said, because you were selling counterfeit product. So all of this started getting mixed and jumbled up and all of a sudden you had to submit a plan of action that addressed two things, not one. One was how will you prevent, future uh, notice claims of infringement coming into Amazon reporting you for those violations, but also how are you going to prevent the incidence of uh, listing and selling counterfeit products on Amazon? So a a two-sided plan of action, which is not what was going on earlier this year or even Mm -hmm. this summer, that's newer. Those lines have blurred to Amazon and maybe to sellers too. If you're accused of an intellectual property violation, you might be accused of selling counterfeit right alongside it, And I've seen cases, I mean, with my clients where they've been accused of these things and they're buying from authorized distribution channels of that brand. I mean, their invoices show that they're buying only from authorized resellers of the brand. Yeah, it
1: becomes scary. Riddle me that.
0: (laughs) Because uh, then you can go to the brand and say, I'm buying from your guy who's listed on your website. And here's the invoices and I've been doing it for five years. And all of a sudden, you're reporting to me, you're, I'm sorry, you're reporting to Amazon that I'm selling counterfeit products of yours? Yeah, um, exactly. How much revenue do you lose trying to sort that conversation out? Because you have to mm-hmm. go, go to the brand, get a letter from them, maybe a letter from the supplier. You know, that's a that's a problem between the brand and the supplier you bought from more than it is for you, I mean, of course, if you're suspended, then it's definitely your problem. Yeah,
1: but, yeah, there, it becomes but, that whole, between yeah. those two people, yeah.
0: You can't just go to your supplier and say, am I okay to sell this on Amazon? Because lots of distributors say, sure, go ahead, right? Right, and it's that's
1: why I prefer, I prefer yeah. going right to the source versus a distributor, right. you know? Right. I have a brand that, that um, I, I led them to brand registry. They did it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, when Brand Registry 2.0 came out, they did it themselves because they are having huge issues with um, with not only counterfeits but just map pricing issues, right. people changing product pages like crazy and all of that. And um, so I led them to the, the trough and then they drank and did all the paperwork. And That's the
0: smart way. That's the yeah. smart way. The The, the sellers yeah. that offered to do this for the brands, I think a variety of scenarios played out. I think, I mean, remember that your competitors are always watching you and many competitors are looking for reasons or ways to report you to Amazon. So there could also be just how they formed a certain argument reporting some of these resellers for, you know, they might have reported them for acting on their own and not on behalf of the brand. And maybe that wasn't true, Mm -hmm. but it can take days or weeks to sort some of these things out. I mean, if you're reported – for abuse and the uh, investigator or even the investigator's manager looks at your account and thinks that you're guilty of a code of conduct violation. I mean, you're still sending in a carefully crafted appeal saying how you will ensure that you're following Amazon policies from that day forward while you're also, I mean, doing what trying to, you know, counter report the person who reported you and had some inaccurate yeah, information. Oh, yeah. oh, the ship oh, has sort of sailed at that point. I mean, you're already sort of on the defensive. So if you start saying, well, we figured out which competitor this was, and it's this seller of this product, and they're just trying to get us knocked off these listings, investigators hear 100 times an hour that it's your competitor and that you're being sabotaged. Uh, Even for buyer complaints, right? Most sellers approach, oh, we had a complaint from a buyer from the perspective of we have a competitor trying to take us down. You know, on the Amazon side, they just roll their eyes. They hear... They hear that as an excuse all the time, and it's the boy who cried wolf at this point. It doesn't matter anymore if it's true or not. It might be true. The dog ate
1: my homework. Yeah, the dog ate my homework. It might be true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some dogs are extremely hungry, and they eat lots of homework, right? But most of them aren't. And they know, even looking at the tools, I mean, there are people, I've experienced this myself. There were people who wrote emails that I read that said, I know exactly who it is this is the seller. I went straight to the tools. I looked at the seller. I looked at their buyer accounts. I saw no buying between their buyer accounts. I mean, unless it was Mm -hmm. completely stealth, which not Mm -hmm. everyone can do. I mean, Amazon's tools are pretty good. So unless
1: unless
0: somebody was just, you know, entirely savvy and circumventing all of those tools and software and processes, I knew it wasn't their competitor. I knew it was, you know, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 times that people are saying this, because they don't want to, you know, admit that something went wrong with one of their orders yeah. of products. So I mean I go. have
1: to say knock wood and I'm knocking every piece of wood I'm sitting around here. I've never had an IP claim. I've never had anybody right. approach me or any, I mean and part of that I think is because I'm old and I come from the old school brick and mortar business where you buy wholesale from the brand owner and that's what you do. Right. Um, right. Fortunately, it was the right way to approach an Amazon business because I haven't had those issues. Um, I can't mm-hmm. imagine how stressful it may, uh, must be every morning waking up and thinking, are you going to have another IP claim on something or whatever, you know?
0: Um, well, like you said, it's become more about brands trying to figure out their own supply chain. I mean, that's not what it was about when I was working there enforcing notice claims. Um the brands see your storefront. They don't necessarily know who you are, what your company name is based on that storefront.
1: Exactly. So some are
0: So some aren't trying to necessarily control supply chain. They just don't know who you are, and they're accidentally knocking you off those listings. They don't even intend to because there's not enough communication between them and their suppliers, them and their authorized resellers, them and you. I mean, there's all this murky misinformation, and sometimes the only way they can figure out who you are and where you got their products is to report you, you know. And I think yeah. some of the brands don't understand how hostile and aggressive and damaging that can be. And they only figure it out when you go to them and you say, I'm suspended. Can you retract this notice claim? A lot of yeah, the brands only understand. And by then, it's kind of too late. So.
1: Yeah, so, so that, that raises a point that I never thought of. Um, until now, is make sure the brand that you're buying from, saying you're buying w- widgets from XYZ Company, make sure XYZ Company knows that this is the name you're selling under on Amazon. So then yeah. as they go through the list of sellers, they don't have to try to figure out who is who because that raises a great point because the brand that I led to the water trough to fill out their own stuff, they said, we don't know where some of these people are getting these things because we can't match up the name Yep. in any sort of way, with the people we're selling to. Now, mine's yeah. easy because the name I buy under on all my businesses is, is my Amazon store name. But if if yours nice. are different, I would I think that's a good thing to do to all your suppliers is just let them know the name you're selling under.
0: Yeah, Then they can a lot of, cross you off and the some, list. And some brands farm this work out to an agency, right? And they don't necessarily tell the agency, by the way, some of these people are buying through legitimate channels. I mean, the names they give the agency are the names that get reported, the storefront names that are reported to Amazon, right? So, and you might just be dealing with the agency when they send you the notice warning, they send you the email address to the compliance officer at that agency. So you're not even dealing directly with the brand. They've, you know, offloaded the responsibility elsewhere.
1: Yeah, okay. And there are services that will manage this for brand owners,
0: correct? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, there used to be things like Mark Monitor. I mean, I don't even know if they do it anymore. Um, I've seen those agencies make mistakes and report. uh, And and also some, you know, black hat uh, parties (laughs) try to mimic those agencies sometimes, and they try to create fake email addresses from those agencies. Um, I had one that I think, I don't know if I talked to um, CNBC or Bloomberg about it, but they used a former employee's email address. So it was an actual employee oh. from one of those agencies. So it was a real person, in other words. It wasn't Joe at you know some 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 email domain. They used like a former employee's email address that used to exist and masqueraded as that former employee from the agency and got a lot of listings taken down based on that. So people are out there on LinkedIn. People are trying to figure out these angles to play. And you just have to make sure. I mean, what can you do? You can't prevent, you know, all the ba- bad faith players from being in the game, but you can keep your ducks in a row and be prepared. I mean, I would just say, always have documentation ready to go. Get get authenticity letters from brands. I mean, have have letters on actual letterhead, you know, instead of the emails that you were referring to. If you can get okay, some, if you can get something on letterhead, I mean, you know, if you can't get it from the brand, at least get it from the authorized reseller you're presumably buying from as your distributor, but have these things ready because the infringement wars are only beginning from what I can see. Mm. Um, Even eventually everyone seems- will be chasing sellers off of listings, you know, just for the Isn't sake it of it. Isn't it a
1: shame that people spend their time figuring out ways to do this instead of figuring out times to legit ways to legitimately grow their business. That just right. boggles my mind. I don't have time to fool with Fake infringement letters because I'm too right. busy finding new products and Building getting them into Amazon. Yeah, well, exactly. Of, and
0: yeah, think in terms of like reviews, product review manipulation, um, <laughs> instead of trying to invest time and and intellectual energy in how to market yourself better or uh, you know enhance content for your products and so forth and how to sell them better. People were using PayPal to try to buy reviews from people, right? Try Isn't and, that
1: insane? Just I mean, that was, that's still
0: going on, by the way. There's still yes. rampant product. I mean, just while we're on the topic of how people get suspended and since we're heading into the holidays and everything, any kind of abuse, I mean, they have abuse teams now dedicated to sort of tracking down these things. So if you think you found the expert way to get more reviews, and everyone's doing it, and it's off-site, it's not on Amazon, no one's going to get caught for this, you've seen it in the forums, you've seen it in Facebook groups, whatever it might be, there's somebody out there who's going to see you doing this, a competitor, a buyer, could be anybody, and they're going to report you to Amazon, and then it's up to Amazon to figure out if they want to spend time figuring out what you're doing. Obviously, they do, because people are coming to me with, you know, being suspended for this, right? Mm -hmm. And the whole PayPal, you know, reimbursing people, whether it was, you know, payoffs for incentivized reviews, not incentivized reviews, whatever you want to call them, they're not, they're trying to game the system. And Amazon considers that abuse and manipulation. And they, I'm sure you heard, you know, whatever it was a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, they suspended scores of sellers for doing this. And so here it's raises just, a question yeah. um,
1: about reviews. So say a friend of mine is selling a product that I like and I buy it from her on Amazon at full price. She doesn't send me any money back through any which way, and I leave a product review. Problem because she's a friend or just
0: uh, business? It's, it's, it's good to be careful with friends and family. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, I don't know if you have seen the messaging from Amazon. Um, the the list of things that you're not supposed to be doing was having friends and family, um, you know, report favorably listing positive reviews. And then you get into the whole discussion of, can you be truly unbiased when you're buying from a friend? Um, No. You can buy from a friend. Do you have to leave a positive review for it?
1: No. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, no. Right. Okay. So we have a Uh, question in chat. Um, Yeah, go ahead. uh, John, we have a group member named John Wayne. Is that, like, the most awesome group member name ever? That's a good Um, name. John from the... John's in the U.K. and sells um, through the EU, um, the whole EU thing. And he asked mm-hmm. in related to that question about about letting buyers or uh, brand owners and re- uh,
0: distributors know sure.
1: who they're buying from. He says, how risky would it be to change my store name to my company name?
0: Yeah, it's kind of too late for that. <laughs> um the, the good news is that you can get around that by just making sure whoever you're sourcing from knows the difference between your company name and your storefront name. Um, the bad news is if you start trying to change, don't change certain details you know, too early or too often, I guess, because I'm sure you heard of people who changed their bank account or they changed did. this or that, and they got suspended. So I, maybe I can just do a quick tangent on why that was happening. Okay. Okay. Um, well, first of all, for a while, people's accounts were getting hacked like crazy and they were account compromise concerns. And so if they thought that your details are being changed because you had lost control of your account, whether or not you fell prey to a, you know, a phishing scheme and you gave up your password to uh, someone else or not, uh, that's one concern is account compromises, which for obvious reasons is a huge you know, worry for Amazon. On the other side, they're afraid that people are selling accounts and accounts aren't for sale. That's against policy. You can't transfer an account from one owner to another, Um, you know, and a lot of people don't understand. They don't even know about that policy. They don't understand that policy. I can explain the rationale behind it if you want, but um, when they see certain details changing, right, they think that you've sold it to another party. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who have sold their accounts. Maybe they got away with it. Maybe Maybe they changed the details in a certain way. And I don't have a, you know, nor would I really part with a specific approach that you should use if you sell your account and you're trying to avoid detection. I don't do that. But But what if you sell your whole company? Some people people masquerade as, you know, yeah, but I mean, this has to be done the proper way, right? You want to reach out to the proper channels first and sort of alert them to the fact that you're doing this. I mean, you might sell your company to somebody who's never been in e-commerce before. They've never sold on Amazon before. Right? It could just be your, your uncle, your brother, your friend, and Amazon has slowly approved your velocity limits up to that point based on their trust of your ability to sell and your ability to procure good product and fulfill orders and whatever it might be. But you've, you've established that level of trust with Amazon based on your months or years of sales. So what if you turned your business over to somebody who had no idea what they were doing simply in a resale? I mean, this is why they don't want people transferring accounts.
1: Because mm, so, they're buying all your good work, basically, and then they could turn around and screw it well,
0: up. Right. I mean, you know? they're, they're supposed to open a new account for a good reason. You've got lots of good feedback, and you've got great right. feedback based, based on Charlene, not based on you know, Fred that you sold your account yeah. to. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, how many times have people sold businesses accounts either way and then their accounts tanked and all of a sudden the performance was terrible? That's a lot of unhappy buyers. That's terrible buyer experience. The only way to stop that really is to keep people from, you know, selling things like this. So if
1: we – so when I retire, I want to sell my, my whole business because there's more to Amazon
0: than to, – more to my
1: business than just Amazon. So right. I would need to tread carefully on how I manage doing
0: that. Yeah, I mean, in theory, um, you you need that person to set up a new account. You can't just sell the account and the performance of, on an account. And, I mean, because obviously you might have category approvals that they don't want the new person yeah. to have. I mean, I, I see do, the value right? of Everything. it. Everything,
1: yeah. That's why, I had that's a why conversation. my account's valuable, yeah.
0: I had a converse. I don't Maybe somebody else can tell me if the story ever ran. I had a conversation with a BuzzFeed reporter about this very subject. And as far as I knew, they were going to press with it, but then I didn't hear about it again. So um, you might want to look on their website. But this is, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of well-meaning sellers who had no idea what the policy was. And they thought they could just sell their account and start a new business. And they, you know, they thought it was very customary and not a big deal. Um, this is why those suspensions started happening for changing bank details and obviously tax IDs and whatever else it might've been. that's their crude attempt to police people from selling their Amazon accounts. Mm -hmm.
1: So, so yeah, because if you have an account that's approved in every category that requires approval, plus a lot of brands within the category, plus daily disbursements, you know, plus, 100% feedback and all those, the great metrics, that's hugely valuable. Um, Then the other part of the value comes from the contacts with the wholesale sources and the brand owners too, you know, not so much the actual inventory. Um, So I need to rethink my whole retirement plan here there. Well,
0: (laughs) I mean, in a perfect world, you would have a relationship with your category manager. You would have an account manager or something like it. And you could do this, they'd have a process for this. You could do this the proper way, proper channels. They could vet your buyer. They could vet the business background of whoever you're selling it to. I mean, there's not enough hours in the day for that. So they're going to have kind of more of a blanket approach, a scalable process for it, which it won't necessarily be the most efficient. Um, Some people do manage to get this done through channels the proper way. The ones I've heard about are large accounts, large sellers, They've been on for years. They have account managers. They, it's an effectively managed process. It's not just you're winging it and you're doing it on your own and you're flying blind and they have no idea what you're doing, which is what happens you know, 80% of the time. So um, how do we
1: get an account manager?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, right now <laughs> you'd have to be invited to have one. Usually you'd have to be high revenue, long you know, presence on the platform. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that because I know a lot of people contact me saying, I've been on for 10 years and – I'm selling, you know, X million a year. I mean, typically they think they're selling more than Amazon, you know, would really consider a high threshold, which would involve more contacts with your category or with an account manager. But consider the fact that a lot of account managers are really there just to help you expand and grow the business. They're not really there for what you might want them to help you with, which is like seller performance or product quality. Yeah, or, or-
1: Or not having to talk to seller seller support Support, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, not just in India. Seller support, generally speaking, is 90% sort of a waste of your time, but that's a story for another.
1: Amen, yeah. yeah. Um, So here's the thing. I I got the longevity part, because my first feedback on Amazon, do you know when it was?
0: 2004. One. Two
1: thousand one, nice. Two thousand one. I'm like old, you know. I've been around the, on Amazon a long time, and the You're first thing old. I sold on Amazon was a book on how to sell on eBay, which cracked nice. me up. Nice,
0: but that's a good um, one. That's a good anecdote. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, but I'm not doing. But it's you know, account are, management.
0: Yeah. Account management viewed as this sort of panacea for all your Amazon problems. I mean, I've had more complaints about account managers at Amazon not doing anything for people that had them than I oh, think geez. I have for people who don't have account managers who want them. Okay. So you okay. Can, well, then maybe I mean,
1: it's – yeah. Account maybe it's, not managers, the
0: thing. it's a round robin. I mean, account managers, some of them are there for five minutes and jump to a different role. So you might spend hours, you know, thinking about how you want to develop a relationship with an account manager, and then you could get a new one who has no idea what you're talking about the next day. I mean, maybe it's yeah, a little true. bit more seamless than that, and and I'm potentially exaggerating slightly, but – there are some account managers that are great and they've been there for years and they're helpful and they're knowledgeable and they talk to seller performance and they understand that even if they can't help reinstate a listing for you, they can at least find out what's going on in the background. Um, There are others probably more, you know, than the first type who don't know how these processes work any more than I do, you know, and I've been out of the company for a few years. And And I would
1: hope that, that they would be have familiarity with the category too,
0: you know, like, right. I don't well, need
1: somebody who knows toys when I'm in arts and crafts,
0: you know? Yeah. They, they might know the category. I mean, some of them are knowledgeable, um, you know, at least more than I am, about certain elements to category sales. But I find myself – I mean, I guess this is instructive. I find myself asking my clients to just get us on a three-way call with the account manager if they're, you know, open to that so that I can explain to the account manager – how product quality teams work and what their SOPs are. I mean, because they don't know and they don't have time. Maybe this is more important. They don't really have time to learn it. And there's no um, process that I'm aware of within um, my former part of the company, uh, TRMS, which is transaction risk management services. They don't have this sort of cross training that they, they had years ago where different people from different parts of, uh, TRMS are learning about how these teams work. I think they just learn it on the fly and they just have a, a, a seller who's concerned about something or has a problem and then they reach out to somebody on these teams that maybe they met, you know, at a meeting and mm-hmm. just say, hey, how do I how do I start approaching this? Can you guys just tell me what's wrong? And, you know, there's they're sort of a, a glorified messenger service at that point. They're taking the message from seller performance and sending it over to you and maybe translating it slightly in terms of what you need to do next, but you're just messaging seller performance through this person. You're not necessarily getting, you know, support or nudge. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's probably quicker just to have the content where it needs to be in the beginning and not even go through the account manager um, unless they're really going to bat for you and just sending it straight to the team that took the action on your account and giving them a chance to kind of clean up whatever the mess was to begin with. I mean, that can be quicker, then lots of back and forth with account managers who just end up giving you some sort of advice that is general advice, I guess, um, that anyone could really give you or you know certainly advice that even people outside the company can give you.
1: And it's like then it's playing the game of telephone where things can get more garbled the more people you have in between. Right, the and thing, time goes you know? by. I mean, yeah. a lot of the work
0: yeah. we do is time sensitive. Of course, if you're suspended, you know we're trying to get people back uh, reinstated immediately. But even listing... Uh, restrictions. I mean, some of those listings are top-selling ASINs, and at a time of year like this, you're losing you know thousands of dollars a day in revenue. So if you're going back and forth with an account manager just based on the assumption that this person works inside Amazon and they're advocating for me with seller performance teams, make sure that's true. <laughs> Don't just assume it um, mm-hmm. and have have some evidence of it, either a phone call or an email. I mean, not necessarily that they're copying and pasting from somebody in seller performance and showing you you know, but but have some indication in the email the account manager sends to you that they know what's going on and that they know what the likely cause of the problem is, not just, you know, general advice on how to solve it, because lots of account managers will just say, well, this is what they said. Writing a plan of action is easy. You do this and this. <laughs> you know, it's like they sound like they just were looking in seller help and, um You know, a lot of times they don't even get answers from seller performance. They don't get an email right away. They're contacting a team or a manager who's way overloaded and has no time to respond to them. So they're just kind of figuring out themselves on the fly and then telling you what their opinion of what happened is. That's not the same as what happened, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's their interpretation.
0: Yeah, this is the same problem with seller support. A lot of times you're on the phone with seller support Because they're there to handhold and they're there to be on the phone with you and they're there to tell you something. Is it something valuable? No. You know, dubious. (laughs) They might just be telling you what they think, right? They might just be telling you based on their last phone call or based on their last day what they think you should be doing. That's seller support giving you an unsubstantiated opinion based on generic advice, which has no value. Yeah, and that... Yeah.
1: To me, that is the most frustrating part of Amazon is dealing with seller support, a hundred right. times worse than anything else I have to do. Um, but I wanna, I'm want i going to backtrack a bit because John okay. Wayne has, has um, added some more details about his question about changing the name. And he says mm-hmm. the account, his selling account is registered in the name of his company as is his VAT registration, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. those are already there on Amazon. So would that be less risky than to change a store name to that
0: name? Uh, Changing your store name is generally not the greatest idea. Um, Less risky, more risky, you know, that's a coin toss. I mean, there's no definitive answer for that. Um, Probably, you know, in most cases, you probably don't have a ton to worry about, but evaluate the risk and whether or not you want to take the chance that something will be misunderstood because a lot of people who, I mean, especially in the UK, you said he's in the UK, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, we've all heard, I think, about the UK verifications process. and passport and all that? uh, Well, with people, yeah. People who were sealed off from their account access and signed out because they were considered failed review or failed verifications, it took them eons to get back on, if at all because of how things appeared. I mean, sometimes it was just documents having a typo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, minimal changes between information. I mean, people had different addresses. Sometimes they were misspelled. Sometimes their names were different. It was a difference between, um, you know, their native name versus um, like an anglicized version of their name or, uh-huh. a, or, an, or a Roman alphabet version of their name, if you're talking about one alphabet to the next. Right. Uh, These things can be, I mean, you couldn't talk to anyone in the UK about those. I wasn't taking on any verification cases in the UK because the queue for fixing these things was a mile long. They would maybe respond, maybe not, and it would take months, right? And I didn't have enough visibility into the process or I didn't really have the ability to go through everyone's documents line by line to figure out what might have been different or not matching or missing um, in order to jump in and help those people. So you just have to be extremely careful when you do these things, especially in countries like the U.K. I was just in Germany last week. I spoke with German sellers who have the same verification mess. A lot of this isn't necessarily Amazon's choice. These local governments are forcing Amazon to, to scrutinize who these sellers are before letting them properly register and sell, right? Well, so sometimes like even it if easier... you're already selling...
1: Yeah. The easier solution would be to let your suppliers know what yeah, you're I mean, selling that's on my, under Amazon. Yeah, this, seems if, like if,
0: a if this is your only reason for doing it, then that's a much easier path to take, because otherwise, you're putting the fate of your account in the hands of possibly untrained, unseasoned Amazon investigators, mm-hmm. and you're just I mean, that's a huge risk to take. I've seen how some of these investigations play out. They send you the same email 11 times in a row. Maybe they're reading something you're sending them and they still don't like it and they won't tell you what's missing. And maybe they're not reading anything. I mean, there's no way to find that out. So, yeah, and you don't have access to your this, account either. Like you can't. What
1: is the seller support sending copy-paste answers that have no relationship to the question you actually asked?
0: Um, they have metrics just like sellers do. They have to do things quickly. And they are motivated to answer you with whatever tools they have at their disposal and as quickly as possible. I mean, it's worth talking about, I mean, maybe this sounds like I'm sort of on Amazon's side and trying to advocate for how they decide to handle email queues and and phones, but it's worth asking sellers why they're so interested in resolving something over the phone, because that's definitely not the direction we're going in just in, in all future interactions with any company. Beyond that, Um, verbally talking through something with somebody who's sort of not trained to answer your question can be a big waste of your time and a lot less effective than crafting the proper correspondence and sending it to the right team to somebody who is actually trained and understands at least on some level what the issues are, but they're not accessible by phone, which is what product quality and seller performance You know, that's their situation. They can understand, I mean, at least some of them are properly trained. Seller support, you know, none of them can answer intelligently the seller performance and product quality. Not only can they not answer it, they they have no authority to resolve the problem for you. So at that point, you're just making a phone call just so you can speak and have someone hear your voice and listen to the words and say something back to you. Right?
1: Not me. I never call him. It raises my blood pressure too much. So it's therapy. <laughs>
0: it's just therapy. Like if you, <laughs> no. I mean, I'd, I'd imagine if you have a, a therapist, what, like a psychotherapist, and you go lay on their couch. I mean, this is conjecture on my part. But that person, you know, if you go to a therapist to talk about financial problems because you have you don't have a job, let's say, the therapist can't go get the job for you, right? They're just there to hear you and to listen and to be a sympathetic voice, that's really all seller support can do unless you're dealing with catalog issues, technical problems, you know, things where they can actually get you to the right team, you can talk to that team, you can sort out a detail page problem, or you've got a technical seller central uh, account problem. I mean, of course, you want to reach out to seller support to start cases for things like that because you have nowhere else to go. People keep going to seller support for seller performance and product quality issues and getting bad advice back or getting much worse. They get bad information, and then they start writing an appeal based on what seller support told them, right? So when I'm coming in after the fact, I start reading through this material. Well, I start reading through this material, and I say, well, why did you say this, this, and this? It doesn't look like that relates to this problem at all. And the client tells me, well, seller support said that it was, you know, it always goes back to seller support. Do not, you know, just because it's more comfortable to lean on that crutch of a phone call, do not trust that phone call with valid or practical or useful information. Understand that that's just an opportunity for you to vent or for you to speak to somebody on the phone and have a voice talking back at you. That's all it is. It's nothing more valuable than that.
1: So what can seller support actually help us with? Can they help with product pages?
0: Right. Pages, catalog. Think in terms of like technical type issues. Um, You know, orders aren't appearing and they should be appearing. I mean, anything involved with your account that, you know, things aren't working properly. Let's just put it that way. There are glitches. There are technical problems. I mean, sometimes they have information about, yeah, this is a glitch that's affecting a lot of sellers, right? They can tell you that. And then you know it's not just you, and you know they're working on it. They might tell you that there's already um, a ticket cut, and people are working on the problem you're reporting. I mean, they're good for that. They can help you with problems like that. Um, and they can help you with other problems. I'm saying they're 90 to 90% you know, not useful for dealing with my former teams. I mean, I leave a little allowance for what they can be useful for because sometimes seller support reps will get access to or go into your account annotations and read off what the complaint was from the buyer. They're not supposed to do that, and they usually don't do it. But once in 500 times, they might do that. Um, they might give you crucial information that gives you a hint about why you're suspended if you got some sort of generic you know, email that doesn't even tell you why. So they can be good for things like that. I'm not saying it's not worth a quick phone call But people spend 45 minutes on the phone with seller support talking about seller performance problems. They can't
1: do nothing about.
0: I'm not saying you're you're better off spending that 45 minutes with me, but talk to somebody who understands what's going on a bit faster. That's a better use of your time. Or spend the 45 minutes digging into your own operations, figuring out what went wrong on your side, and put it into the writing process, right, or outlining your response. Because otherwise – you're just sort of spinning your wheels.
1: Okay. So, um I th- I I like hearing this cuz now and I realize I'm not alone in just being so frustrated that nothing can mm-hmm. get done, you know. And I have had a, I have to say the US-based seller support, the leadership team members when I ask for escalation to that, right. they are really good. I mean, they they the thing that Grand I Forks. Think, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That sets them apart is they actually understand the problem, and you can tell by the questions that mm-hmm. they understand the problem, which is the thing that I think the, the outsource um, agents don't quite get. So um, I have had pretty decent luck escalating that way okay. on serious on yeah. issues, but I'm not going to do it for, you know, stupid stuff, because then it's like you cry wolf too many times, and they'll never talk to you again, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, for things just to kind of bring it back to how people get suspended and what they should you know, worry about in terms of warnings, when you get an inauthentic complaint, I mean, inauthentic is what product quality uses to define all kinds of complaints. It's nonspecific. It's a catch-all term. I don't think the word inauthentic should be used as a catch-all term, by the way. I don't agree with that at all. No, it's but they a, yeah, use I it.
1: agree.
0: I mean, I think that's sort of an alarming uh, way to way to put it. But they do use it to mean item quality complaints, uh, item condition complaints. Your your product doesn't quite match your listing the way I thought it did. Fake counterfeit complaints. I mean, they're all thrown into this one giant bag. And most of the warnings for inauthentic Amazon doesn't tell you what the complaint was. Once in a blue moon, they'll give you something to go on. The same thing with safety concerns and safety complaints. They almost never tell you what the actual complaint was. Um, I have seen a couple.
1: How we I have seen a couple of seller support
0: – I mean, I have to admit, I've seen a couple of seller support reps go in and figure out what the complaint was and tell the person calling. So uh, it is worth a shot. It's just don't hang your hat on it. Um, they don't want to serve the, up you your appeal.
1: Between, yeah. What yeah, is They the, do not wanna, telling
0: us? Yeah. They, they don't want to write your appeal for you and serve it up on a platter. They want you to do the homework and do the digging, a lot of sellers don't go into their return reasons or they don't go into their, even their feedback or their claims or even buyer messages to them, and they don't do any homework in Seller Central. They just jump on the phone and say, our products are authentic. Why are you doing this? And the, the motivation is to get you back into your account, not just your account, I mean your operations. Like how are your products being picked and packed? Maybe that's the cause of this kind of complaint, Maybe it's not inauthentic per se. Maybe it's a condition complaint. Well, if you can find a way to resolve the source of that complaint, you can write an easy plan of action. Um, And, you know, with the the link that I'm going to give you to give your listeners, the Don't Panic link, in terms of uh, getting a sneak peek at how we do a plan of action, how we build one, Um, You know, we have digital products that we created based on my methodology and approach because people weren't sure how to make a plan of action. This is really what it is. You're finding the cause, you're identifying a fix, and then you're describing to them not only the details of the fix, but why it will be successful. You have to be credible when you do that. Otherwise, all you're doing is complaining that you got a warning or giving them sort of generic content that you came up with without really investigating your operations at all, or without showing that you've identified the problem, and they reject it, right? Or they ask you for more information, and you start spinning in circles because you haven't done sort of the homework that they wanted you to do, and you're upset that you feel like they're not reviewing or reading your emails at all. They are reading it. They might be doing it quickly, but they are reading it in most cases, and they're bouncing this kind of pre-written standardized language back at you because something's missing, It's unfortunate that they won't identify what's missing, but that's why, you know, if you write a revised plan of action, by that point, you really have to make sure you've identified, you know, what the cause of this complaint was. Even if it was a stray complaint, even if it was, you know, a small percentage of orders for that item resulted in that item quality complaint, some buyers simply contact Amazon to say, look, this wasn't the kind of quality I expected. This wasn't worth what I paid for it. That's an item quality complaint, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that the page is inaccurate or that you have terrible people in your warehouse handling these items and breaking them. I mean, sometimes that's true too. But that's what product quality is for. Too many buyers complaining about the quality of too many products, and how do they reduce those? Well, suspending people and asking for a plan of action is really still their only means of reducing those kinds of buyer complaints. And so let me know if that made sense. If
1: if we as sellers see patterns with a certain ASIN that we're selling, if you right. see a pattern of returns, um, I would that you need to be proactive and dig into that before it gets to Amazon and say, "Hey, exactly.
0: there's something
1: wrong with these products. Why am I getting now 10% returns or whatever?" And I exactly. quit selling, quit yep. selling products just because they're not very well made, and I get a lot of returns, and it's like. Why would I want to keep doing this, you know? Sometimes that's
0: all, yeah, sometimes that's all there is to it. I mean, the the active sellers that I work on, you know, monthly basis, we spend a lot of time, you know, I know you'd love to have a few more sales of this product. It sells well. It has high returns. It has too many complaints about the quality of the manufacturing. Now, if you can fix the problem at its source, if you're a private label seller and you're manufacturing those items to your design, maybe you can tweak the design, Maybe you can work with a different manufacturer. There's approaches you can put into place. If you're just a reseller and you have no control over that brand or that product, all you can do is pull the listing and get an FBA removal order going and call it a day and move on to another product. You can't you can't cling to these items that you've sold well in the past and you love if people are returning them in high numbers. I mean, you're just That's right. surfacing, and, and a lot of people – I guess, don't understand that, or, you know, they don't really know how the algorithm works. None of us have the algorithm or the magic formula, but you can guess, you know, reasonably educated guess, you can guess that you're going to surface on their radar screen if you have multiple ASINs that have high returns, complaints over item quality. I mean, whether or not you get the performance notification in your inbox, you can still sort of see trouble on the horizon, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what your you opportunity. Have yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, people, are constantly, people are constantly asking me, how do I prevent a suspension, whether they were, were suspended and I get them reinstated and then they want to find out how to pre- uh, prevent the next one, or they're just worried, right, because they get notifications and they have buyers making certain kinds of complaints. This is like the best way. I mean, obviously, there's more than one approach. I mean, you probably want to draft some pretty good looking correspondence to send to Amazon when you get notifications like that. But even before you get to that point, if you can head this off at the pass by identifying problem products, and maybe it's you know you're getting unjustified, invalid buyer complaints. Eventually, Amazon doesn't really care if they're getting complaints, even if some of them aren't you know quite accurate. They just sort of don't want it sold on Amazon anymore. Too many returns, right? Yeah,
1: I have a craft product that is fabulous. I mean, extremely high quality. Um, if you are skilled, it works beautifully, does awesome things. But the big thing is there is a steep learning curve on how to use it. And the vendor is fabulous. They have, you know, YouTube videos, a new one every day on, you know, tips Mm -hmm. and tricks. And they're Mm -hmm. fabulous. But people don't go look at them. And I started getting returns. And I, the only thing I could figure out was people don't know how to use it. They don't get it. They don't want to practice. They think I should be instantaneously doing, you know, uh, right. Picasso drawings with these these markers um, right. without practice. So they
0: return. And maybe it because some they people can't. can. Maybe some people can. But you know, even if you have a, only a few complaints, if there's any pattern or system, you know, systemic reporting of problems with that product, you're creating work for Amazon because Amazon has to hear from this buyer who says, this isn't what I expected, I'm not happy with the product, this isn't what I ordered. I mean, buyers also find creative ways of reporting complaints, which don't do you any favors. Um, The bottom line at that point isn't whether or not, you know, buyers are not reading the description or whether or not they're taking the time to understand the product. Amazon's position will be, well, if your product takes too much time to understand and it results in this, whether it's a big mess or a little mess, you know, it's it's creating headaches on on both yeah I, I,
1: yeah, I quit selling it before it ever got to that point. I right. could see the pattern developing, and I just I quit on it. I said exactly. this is I not mean, this worth is, it.
0: This is a lot of what we do, working with people in terms of specific listings, specifications. I understand. I mean, I know being a seller isn't easy, and I know you have to make tough choices sometimes. But always err on the side of caution. And think in terms of risk assessment, risk management of your account, knowing that there's this team out there, product quality, which is, you know, I could talk for another hour about just them. But they might not love and understand and know your product and have time to talk to you about how great it is and how buyers are simply misunderstanding it and how you've got the perfect fix for it. If you have the perfect fix and buyers will never complain again after you implement that fix, then great, use that in your appeal if product quality takes the listing away and sell it and the problem is solved. But if this is going to be an ongoing saga and you're just going to have a different explanation every time, there's no point in agitating teams like that to start looking at your account and you go from sort of the automated warnings and soft listing blocks, which are the ones you can reinstate yourself, to performance notifications you can you can sort of graduate if you're not willing to listen to the message they're sending you you can graduate to from automated annotations to an actual manual investigation where there's an investigator poking around in your account so it doesn't you know take a genius to understand that, that your risk level has just gone up dramatically simply because you left certain problemations on your account and now you've got somebody looking at your account that probably needs to justify the amount of time they're spending looking yeah. at these complaints. Well, how do they exactly. justify it? They suspend you. <laughs> they have to show, they can't do 10, 11, 12 investigations an hour and come away with, well, I only really took action on a couple of these accounts and the other ones they just annotated for future reference. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Yeah.
1: So we need to be proactive. If you see a pattern, jump on it. Don't let it become such a, a pattern that Amazon then comes to you. Fix it before they get
0: wind of it, right? Right. And then yeah. on, in terms, while we're on the automated versus manual investigation side, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, there's this concept called holiday war team, which is at this time of year, a lot of suspensions that are usually manual investigations and suspensions are actually automated. And I know that sounds very scary, but in terms of, let's just say, having verifiable tracking information on your account, um, which is actually verifiable and also loaded on time, there's no lag or delay, or even late shipment rates, right? Having late shipments shipments over 4%. And a lot of these suspensions at this time of year, they don't bother looking at the account. If you cross a certain threshold, you're auto suspended. If they don't think you're confirming orders, uh, I mean, you can't just say, well, we had a glitch or, well, we had, you know, we were trying to mark them on time in our system. I mean, this is where, Uh, Not having some of this automated and observed by somebody who understands automation versus doing it all manually can come back to haunt you because during holidays, if you're doing everything manually, right, um, it takes you longer to do some of these actions. Um, So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay, so one
1: one last question. Do you do anything with merch sellers?
0: In terms of merchant? Yeah, people fulfilling Uh, their own orders?
1: No, the Amazon merch, the t shirt print on demand sellers.
0: Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't had okay. uh, too much interest from people doing okay. that. But, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: so, one other thing that you touched on what is the link you gave me and right. the information for people in the group?
0: Right. So, I assume you're sending out an email or posting this. Yeah, but it'll be posted. E- yep. So, my website, ecommercechris.com, it's forward slash don't panic. So, that's spelled D O N T hyphen P-A-N-I-C. Uh, that's a sneak peek at, like I said, my approach, my methodology towards building an appeal, building a plan of action, what goes into it, what doesn't go into it. Um, we're only going to have the reduced price for the digital product, which is, again, all about how to build a proper plan of action. Um, we're only going to have it at a reduced price for the next seven days. So today's so the what 18th. what is the price? Yeah, it'll be 285 for the digital product. Um, and this will, again, all be spelled out if you go to that link, but um, this is the digital product I came up with for people who don't necessarily want to retain me for my services to sort of take over the project for them, who want to actually understand how to do this themselves because obviously it's not just account uh, reinstatement work that people often need. They're trying to get individual listings back, and you need a plan of action for any appeal That requires that involves a a removal of a listing or a listing restriction, just as you would for an account suspension. So, same process.
1: Okay. And as always, everybody knows in the group, I don't do affiliate links. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: I've I've worked with Chris tangentially, boy, that's a big word, Um, (laughs) uh, kind of on the side because he helped get a group member reinstated. I've actually met Chris in person, too, which is. uh, unusual in this yeah. world for me at the think, women's yeah. conference, the Amazon exactly. Women's
0: Conference. Um, exactly. You
1: a, a, a nice little get-together at a bar in Seattle, which was a lot of
0: fun. Right. Um, well, so it's too bad the Amazon, the Amazon Women's Conference, which was, what, over a year ago, Yeah. Um, it, it's too bad it didn't result in more internal soul-searching in terms of HR and uh, sexual harassment policy at Amazon, or at least at Amazon Studios, because they probably <laughs> like, could have yeah. Yeah, they could have taken a bit more action on uh, their studio chief and some of the things he was up to. Yeah. you know, he's—I'm sorry—they're now former studio chief. Yes,
1: exactly. Um,
0: but the the maelstrom around sexual harassment and tech—you uh, would hope that a company like Amazon would sort of be a forerunner in terms of progressive policy and maybe reviewing procedures and so forth. And uh, as a former Amazonian, I just like to say sort of how disappointed I am that that didn't happen until the chorus became so loud that, you know, obviously now that it's deafening, Amazon is moving, but they could have done some things a bit earlier.
1: So, Yeah, as, as most businesses, you know. Yeah, um, agreed. That, so so mm-hmm. I will post the link in our uh, private Facebook group about the information. Um, I do want to thank, thank you. you for spending the time with us because I do respect your, your knowledge and your opinion. And group members know there's very few people I say that about, cuz you know um if i don't trust you if i don't think you provide a service that you're not on the ball i just don't do it you know um it's yeah, like i'm, I'm not I, i'm not an affiliate hound looking for money that way the whole purpose of my group is so i can have some uh contact with people outside of my office and to help people you know it's so um, and i and applaud you
0: for that because I don't really do the affiliate stuff either, and I don't endorse a product unless I either use it myself or I talk to people I trust, and they use Bingo. it, and they love it. I mean, I'm willing to Bingo. endorse certain things that I absolutely adore, but um, the whole affiliate commission sort of system is yep. you know, not the best. Yeah, but. like
1: Restock Pro is one. I push in the group just because mm-hmm. I'm up 35% over last year, just mm-hmm. because I don't run out of stock as much. So I can say, yeah, I use it every single day, and here's why I endorse it, but I don't get any money back from it, so you guys go for it. You know, I think right. it's a much cleaner yeah. way of doing living your life. You know? Then I don't have to feel guilty if somebody buys something
0: and then hates it. You and know? there's a problem. I mean, just as yeah. a qualifier, I don't necessarily think that you have to have worked at the company to know some of the things I talk about. As an expert, I mean, it certainly helps, and I guess I'm a little bit biased because I did spend so many years working on the exact teams that seem to be giving everyone, you know, fits. But I would just encourage everyone, you know, when you're thinking of retaining or hiring a consultant, I mean, figure out what their background is. Don't just listen to sort of um, inflated numbers on how many people. I've heard ridiculous numbers from some people that I've never even heard of. Who say that they've helped thousands of sellers? I mean, a lot of that's sort of fiction. It's just kind of made up. So make sure you do your due diligence, know what their background is, um, figure out, you know, by talking to them or at least in an email, you know, how they would approach certain kinds of problems that you have because, sort of like what you said about seller support in Grand Forks, often in the course of that conversation, you can figure out, you know, who's really worth their salt and who isn't. And you can sort of separate you know, the wheat from the chaff at that point because knowledge can't be faked in most circumstances, at least not around this material, in my opinion. Um, again, maybe sometimes I'm a little close to it because I've sort of had my hands in this for almost a decade. But for other people, like you said, there are all these services springing up and some people think this is a, a worthwhile sideline and they're kind of doing it in the background. You know, Think about whether or not you want – the fate of your account in their hands.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and they should feel like some sort of responsibility to their clients, you know, that, that they can do this well, which I know some don't, it's just a way to, to make money and that's it. You know, it's
0: up to the client to, you know, it's your money, it's your time. Make sure you spend the time, you know, don't make a rash decision. I would say just consider all the factors, make sure you're adequately convinced. You're not just being told something you want to hear and then go from there. I mean, that's the best advice I can get.
1: So I have like 9 million more questions for you, but we're already 20 minutes over time. And I know we'll do it next busy. time.
0: I was going to yeah. say, can
1: you come back another time? And I will, I will have my 9 million for questions you. Anything. For, you? Uh, for you,
0: anything. if you can in, give me the in questions chat, in advance, it might help.
1: <laughs> I was, just gonna say, I will do that.
0: Um, no, I can do it. Great I can comments
1: in chat yeah. here. Uh, thank you so much. Great podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thank you yeah. both. So, um, thank you. You know, it, it, this is a group of serious sellers who want to do it, do the right thing. That's what I love about the people in my group. They want to do mm-hmm. it right. So this is great information for them. So um, I hope it helps. We'll be, it, I'm sure it will. And we'll be in touch about another podcast as we move more into Q4. And mm-hmm. um, you take care. And thank you so much, Chris.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Take care.
1: Bye-bye, everybody.